Welcome to a special edition of the Live the More podcast, where we are going to spend the next few episodes talking about the war in Ukraine. Specifically, the refugees, the people, the families who have had to flee Ukraine. Over the years, having lived overseas for quite a while, my family and I, we've made lots of friends with people in Central and Eastern Europe. And so we wanted to take some time to ask them to tell us some stories to help us understand who are the refugees fleeing Ukraine? What are their names? What are their stories? And help us understand how we can better see their faces and in which ways can we help. We're going to sit down with friends of ours who live in Romania, Hungary, and other countries and understand better this mass of humanity that has had to leave Ukraine. What are they experiencing? Where are they going? What are their hopes? How can we pray? And, like I said, how we can help. I hope that you enjoy these next few episodes, and I hope that in some ways they bring you closer to the people involved and so that you can understand what your role could be in praying for them and helping them. All right, so welcome back to another edition of the Live the More podcast. I'm thrilled to have a very good friend of mine from all the way back in elementary school, Macaulay Austin. Uh, he recently went to Ukraine from Texas and is going to tell us all about what he saw there, what he experienced, and what he sees God doing in Ukraine. So Macaulay, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, man, I'm very glad to uh, give the time um, and glad to talk to you. It's been too long since you and I have been able to connect, but this is a good way to do it. Yes, yes. So just some background for people who don't know. Macaulay and I used to walk through the halls of Friendswood High School rapping Beastie Boys lyrics <laughs> back and forth. And then... So what, uh, you, what, you, what you want? <laughs> and then uh, for a time, we were both in vocational ministry, but Macaulay has uh, continued to be the pastor of his church, and I'll let him explain and, and kind of share a little bit more about him, but known him and his family for quite some time, and he's just a dear brother, and so that's a little bit of the background. So Macaulay, why don't you just start by introducing yourself to our listeners, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yes, sir. Well, um, yeah, uh, I'm Macaulay Austin. Uh, I pastor Friendswood Baptist Church in Friendswood, Texas, which is south of Houston. Uh, it's about halfway between Houston and Galveston. I've been pastoring now for 13 years. Uh, been in full-time ministry for 15. Um, and uh, yeah, I pastor the church that I grew up at. It's uh, um, uh, I, My dad pastored before me for 20 years. Uh, sadly, he passed away in 2008. And uh, I was on staff and they called me as interim. And then um, uh, sometime later, called me as pastor, and uh, I'll be here for the next 40 years, uh, <laughs> Lord willing. Um, so yeah, uh, that's a little bit about me. I am, uh, one thing that you missed out uh, on telling the audience, though, is we actually used to share a wall of an apartment together uh, when we were first married as well. So that's uh, right. We, we, have some, we have some fun fun ties and some great memories together. Yeah, man. Yeah, lots of lots of trouble that we got into, and that that made it all very fun. 
Yes, yes, yes. Um, <laughs> let me let me say this about my personal life. Outside of vocational ministry, I have a wonderful wife uh, and three boys. Um, also, um, uh, our niece has stayed with us for several years, and she is a she just completed her first year at college uh, in College Station, Texas, and so I'm very Whoop. proud of her. And uh, yeah. Uh, got to get that plug in there for you. Um, uh-huh. but, uh, very proud of her and, uh, and my three boys as well. So awesome. Yeah. And so for, for those of you who, uh, don't know, Macaulay recently left his family to travel to Ukraine. And so that's part of the reason why we have him on today is, uh, we've been doing a series on what's going on in Ukraine, specifically how it's been affecting the refugees, but this is a very unique opportunity for us to hear not just about the refugees or the Ukrainians and others who have had to leave Ukraine, but about the people who are still in Ukraine. So Macaulay, how did you end up taking that trip to Ukraine? What what compelled you to, to kiss your wife and kids goodbye and hop on the plane and go over there? Tell us about that. Uh, well, um, I'm compelled uh, because we've been partners with the ministry for um, Let's see, since 2016, we've gone to Ukraine uh, a, a number of times, um, and uh, we've actually partnered with this organization, Mission 823, uh, longer be, longer than that. Um, uh, our lead missionaries, Sean and Amy Sullivan, we've, we've supported for, as a church, we've supported for over 20 years, and, um, and we've taken some groups um, to Ukraine, 2016, 17, and 18. Uh, we were scheduled to go back in 2020. And of course, this global pandemic happened, so we weren't able to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, and last year, actually, I was invited to come on the board of Mission Eight Two Three. Mission Eight Two Three is um, it. We support a lot of missionaries as a church, but Mission Eight Two Three and a couple other organizations are um, are 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 uh, uh, ministries that we like invest more heavily into. Um, and so, um, so they invited me to come on the board. I was honored to do that. Um, at the uh, beginning of this year, after the full scale invasion, of course, the war has been going on for eight years after the full scale invasion, we, um, had, um, our missionary Sean Sullivan, uh, with us. And, um, and he came in and in February kind of told us a little bit about what was going on, uh, how our ministry had pivoted over there. Um, uh, with the invasion, and then he came back in April, and uh, in April he was talking about uh, taking a trip over there, and uh, and he and I talked personally about it, and I said, well, if you have the opportunity, and and people are going to go with you, I'd like to go, and uh, and so he got a got an email. Um, it was funny. My friend invited me to go to the British Virgin Islands with him and sell around uh, from the 12th to the oh, 18th man. of June. And the next day I got the email from Sean that said, hey, I booked my flight to Ukraine and it was going to be right at the same time, leaving it right at the same time. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to the Virgin Islands. Wow. Uh, but um, yeah, so th- so we have a heavy, uh, I mean, we've, we've loved Ukraine for a long time. We have a heavy investment in the country over there, um, have friends over there. Um, have ministries that we've uh, supported for a long time that we've um, seen on the ground there, and uh, so and so me going to Ukraine, there was there was no question about that. Um, yeah. The biggest question for us was the timing of the whole event. Um, yeah, uh, 
it was it was a difficult time uh, for us as a family. My wife uh, has a new job, and uh, it was a particularly busy season for her. But uh, yeah. ultimately, it was, you know, uh, we have the opportunity to go, so let's go. Yeah. And uh, well, that's yeah. yeah. And I I know from knowing your wife that uh, she was probably even a little jealous that you got to go and she couldn't go <laughs> because she has a huge heart for Ukraine as well. But before we get yeah. to the trip, tell us a little more about the mission and the vision of Mission A Two Three. Okay, yeah, that's a, a good. Um, I will forget to do those things. So thanks for asking that good question. Yeah, man, um, come on. So Mission Eight Two Three comes out of uh, Psalm eighty two three, which uh, says to uh, defend the uh, the the orphan, to do justice for the afflicted and the needy, and so that is. Um, so when we think about Mission 823, a uh, big part of our, our our mission is to rescue children from, um, from poverty, uh, to uh, get them um, really in Ukraine. They still have uh, uh, have orphanages. I can't think of institutional orphanages uh, still mm-hmm. yet. And so, um, so we want to um, give those children who are orphans um, either – actual orphans or even social orphans in Ukraine, uh, get them out of orphanages into families and give them opportunities. Uh, and so, um, so anything that uh, has to do with, um, you know, rescuing children who are uh, marginalized, um, particularly in the country of Ukraine, and that means not only uh, rescuing them from orphanages, we've uh, partnered in, uh, with Task Force for Human Trafficking, um, mm. uh, to rescue children from human trafficking, to prevent that, to prosecute on those uh, those ends, and um, and and so uh, so yeah, so it's really our ministry has to do with uh, focus towards children, uh, marginalized mm-hmm. children uh, in trauma, and 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 doing everything that we can do, uh, not only as an organization but partnered with. Um, with churches over there, partnered with social services over there, partnered with government government institutions even as well um, to do like a full scale uh, operation so that we can uh, try to uh, try to give them uh, life and opportunity uh, where there's right. very little very little prospect of that. So how did when Russia invaded Ukraine earlier this year? So right now today it's July twelfth, twenty twenty two. Earlier this year when they invaded Ukraine, how did that affect Mission 823? Yeah, so um, immediately, um, Mission 823, well, I'll tell you this, we have two facilities out in the West, and um, and the invasion largely uh, did not affect the West. Outside of the in, like first day, there was a bomb dropped about five, uh, five kilometers from our, um, from our facilities in the West, Outside of that, uh, and that were they were targeting a military asset. Outside of that, it's been really quiet on the west. So uh, these facilities, one is um, a very large uh, home that we use as a base for a camp. Uh, the other one is uh, a home that we had recently purchased that was to become uh, what we call bridge to life homes. We um, where we would have a family come in and where we would actually have. Uh, children who would come in into that home, um, kind of like a foster care system, if you, it, it, uh, as we would understand it a little bit, but a little bit deeper than that. Um, uh, um, so we had these facilities, uh, and they became um, uh, they became 
useful for uh, housing evacuees and refugees. And mm-hmm. so our ministry took a full-on pivot, full full tilt turn to, hey, we're going to go start rescuing people out of conflict zones, uh, bring them over to our facilities out in the West, and um, our facilities out in the West can either house these uh, folks for uh, for you know the the foreseeable future, or we can help uh, get them you know uh, some respite and then get them onto the border. And so um, so at the height of uh, the invasion, um, whenever uh, before before they before the war kind of shifted to the southeast uh, and the Donbass. Um, before that, there was, uh, I want to say, uh, there was 65, um, people, uh, staying in our facilities and we had rescued, uh, and, and, and partnered with others also to rescue over 10,000 people, um, to evacuate them out of the country. And so, um, so that's, I mean, it was I, everything wow. in our, in our ministry world, um, uh, shifted, um, a few years ago here in Houston, we had uh, Hurricane Harvey come through, and uh, and it shut down life, and everything pivoted for us uh, in this region, and, and that's kind of one of the things that I, I see. Uh, that's the only likeness that I can compare it to a lot of times is, you right, know, right. major de- destruction happens, and right. everything stops, and you, 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 you change gears. So tell us a little more about how how were they rescuing people and how were they getting them to the West and getting them to the Western borders? Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, we, of course, whenever the news first hits, you get an influx of, um, of, of, of large donations, which was uh, really, really great. Um, and uh, we were able to use that to either purchase um, vehicles um, and then we rented some like charter buses and then um, we partnered with uh, one of the ministries that we partnered with in particular is a ministry uh, called Save Ukraine and uh, partnered with ministries like that and then we also uh, have a logistics company um, like a um, a contracted uh, military logistics company that uh, that we have been working with that um would help us uh, lead us into conflict zones. Not I say us. That's me using the royal we in a big way. Uh, our partners on the ground, our team members, uh, would drive into these conflict zones, um, and um, either with a charter bus um, or even like a fifteen passenger Sprinter van, um, uh, and wow. and load up and then drive across the country and, and to get to our facilities out in the west. I mean. Uh, you're looking at a seven-hour trip, um, right? You know, um, right. seven to eight-hour trip. It's it's a it's a it's a long way. It's like away. driving across driving across Texas, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a long distance. How yeah. what and what did they encounter when they when they drove into these conflict zones and they're being escorted to some extent, but they're in vehicles that are not armored vehicles? I mean, what right. was that experience like for them? Uh, so. Um, Thankfully, uh, all of our all of our drivers were safe. Uh, we at, we some of the ministries that we partnered with, um, they have lost drivers along the way uh, due to mm. the conflict. Um, but um, but a, a lot of times it would it, it was just 
stressful, intense situations in which you are trying to you, you you've co- you've connected with a group of people. You have you know a, a person of contact, and you're saying, "Hey, we're going to meet here and um, and and get your group of people ready." Once we pull in, we're going to load up and we're going to go. Um, and of course, there were humanitarian um, uh, corridors open, but we also know that. Um, Russia did not honor all those agreements, and mm-hmm. uh, and like I w- like I said, uh, we're just very very grateful that uh, all those uh, of our team who went in and into arms way uh, were able to make it out without any incident. Um, I'm glad for to sure. hear that. Yeah. So then, so then you get this invitation to scrap your plans to go to what was it British Columbia is that you said <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah was it BC yeah. or was it British Virgin Islands I no no remember. no British Virgin Islands the BVI British Virgin Islands yeah okay yeah. so you get the, the plans to, to or you get the invitation to scrap those plans and yeah. you go to Ukraine so tell us a little bit more about the work up to that and like getting over there because right now the State Department and everyone else is saying don't travel to Ukraine so tell us more yeah. about even just getting there so, um, yeah, well, the trip there, I, I, I'm, I won't be able to tell you all the details of the trip there, but I can tell That's you fine. that the, tri- the trip there was horrible. It was the worst travel experience ever, and it had nothing to do with Ukraine, and it had nothing to do with the war going on. Um, it had everything to do with, um, with um, you know, the, our airlines being short staffed, overbooking, and oh, all no. this, all this uh, frustration that we've seen go on, um, and so, so it was a horrible trip to get there. But leading up to it, it really, um, we were kind of trying to k- kind of keep it closed lipped a little bit. We we were we were going into Poland, uh, and that's what we were you know telling people, and then we were going to aid our friends in Ukraine from there. Um, by the time we were leaving, though, a lot of the pressure had come off. Um, in so much of for, for the travel, uh, and so that was really it was really kind of interesting. It was like this kind of like reprieve because, like the fighting had all been concentrated over in the southeast. Uh, you hadn't had any shelling in the central uh, part of Ukraine, and and you know, and and in some cases, I think Kiev was hit uh, maybe a couple weeks before we left. But other than that it was like a month and a half before any shelling had happened over in the uh, central part of Ukraine. So like a lot of the pressure had come off. Plus we are coming in as volunteers and we're coming in to provide humanitarian aid and assistance. And so, um, so that really gave us like a lot of freedom. Um, you know, we weren't going in there, uh, as soldiers and, uh, and, and you know, that would have been a completely different, um, uh, I think entry into the country, uh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but so you was, got oh, there. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say. So we flew into Poland, and then we drove into Ukraine from Poland. Um, that's the other thing you can't. You know, there's no direct flight into uh, Kiev today. Yeah. Um, so. What were you feeling when you crossed the border from Poland into Ukraine? Um, well, the, if I was a normal human being, I might have been feeling a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, nervous or anxious. Uh, but I'm not a normal human being, John. Uh, I, I am, I, I'm, I, I'm naive. I'm aloof, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I started pastoring a, a well-established church at 25 years old and thought that I could do it. So like, you know, I just don't have, I don't have this, um, 
common sense that most people that would keep most people <laughs> grounded. Um, and, and so, uh, so for me, it was like it was kind of adventurous. It was you know uh, I, I, there was a little bit of an ant- eager anticipation of I want to be able to get over there and see what's going on, see our friends and connect with them and then and, and then accomplish the things that we want to accomplish over there right because for you this isn't this isn't adventure tourism this is reconnecting with friends that you've known for like a decade yeah 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 we've uh i mean these are people like we've there are friends that i've made uh let's say not quite a decade but 2016 there's people that i've met that yeah. we have we've gone back and we've ministered with them every year that's one of the reasons yeah. why we want why we, why we have such a heavy investment in this ministry is because when we go back and we minister we're ministering with the same people we're seeing the same partners even uh, even the same areas uh you know ukraine's big but the same uh, the same people um you know, we're, we're, we're working in the same villages over and over and right. over again. And right. so, so we, we've been able to establish relationships. Yeah. Um, that, that was something as a pastor that I always wanted us to do is if we were going to go do mission trips, I didn't want us to, you know, show up one place for a week, do some really good, you know, endeavors and then be gone. And, and then next year, where are we going to go? You know, that's not the right, idea right. here. Yeah. It's uh, okay. to build long-term relationships. So, yeah, it is about going and seeing our friends. That was one of my key yeah. things that I wanted to do. Uh, I've yeah. been talking to my friends all throughout the war, um, you know, in, in part, you know, you know, agonizing in prayer over them and then also inspired inspired by these by the resilience and the courage and the faith and faithfulness of of these these people and so um yeah. so yeah i wanted to yeah. see what it was like on the ground there for them um, so you drive into ukraine and um tell us a little bit about where you went and what you saw what stands out all right yeah so we um we went in we we spent a day in our facilities in the West. We were actually delayed getting into Ukraine because of those wonderful travel arrangements uh, that uh, that fell through. But uh, but we we got in. We we spent some time in the West. We're able to kind of immediately reconnect with some people. We also have some new team members who started during this this conflict. So we were able to meet some of these new team members and. Um, and then we took off and we headed towards central Ukraine. And uh, we, we, we basically for uh, a week, we camped in Kiev and, um, and we went, um, we have uh, some like a warehouse facility in uh, south of Kiev in uh, Bila Serkba. And that, um, we went down there, um, connected with some of our partners there, uh, filled up some humanitarian aid, went into Kiev. And then uh, based out of there, we went up to Chernigiv, which is uh, a little north um, north uh, east of Kiev, um, up to uh, an orphanage in Komarivka. Um, that was where uh, Sean's heart. That's where he understood. Hey, uh, my ministry is fundamentally changing. Was in Komarivka, and this was you know. 15, 20 years ago that this all happened for him. So we, we've had a, like a long-standing partnership with them. Um, in Chernigiv, we were able to see um, see some of the real devastation. Uh, so anything north of Kiev, this is where during that initial invasion, they're coming down. Uh, Russia is coming down from Belarus uh, using these 
corridors. That was one of the main corridors. We couldn't even take the real the 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 actual highway because it was so destroyed. So we had to take um, some real off off beaten uh, roads. And mm. um, and, uh, and one of the ladies that we met there, we met uh, a woman named Elena. Uh, Elena and her family um, they hunkered down in a root cellar uh, for the better part of seventeen days. Um, while wow. the initial evasion uh, came in because there was um, shelling and, and things of that nature. Um, after 17 days, they, uh, they believed it was safe enough for them and they were able to flee and evacuate. Uh, while they were in that root cellar, a um, massive um, uh, bomb dropped and it just completely decimated their house, leveled their house uh, and a whole bunch of houses in their village. Uh, we were there to bring them some rebuilding materials. Wow. Um, that's one of the things that I, I, I think is so remarkable to me about this trip is we were there at a time whenever people were finally kind of taking a breath and saying, we, you know, you, you can't stay in Poland forever. You can't stay in Romania forever. Right. You know, you, you, you're going to run out of funds or, just even like life has to keep going. And so people are taking that breath and that collective breath, if you will, and coming back and beginning to rebuild. I have videos of, uh, in that same village of, um, two guys while we were there, um, they're, they're, they're working on the roof and getting it, uh, you know, getting it reset. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, at Elena's house, uh, you know, they are, they're sourcing from the rubble, the bricks that they can use uh, wow. to rebuild with, and wow. um, Elena is so such a beautiful soul. She uh, in the midst of this, and and I I can send you some of these pictures later. Uh, but in the midst of the rubble, uh, she after we've delivered aid to her, and then we've delivered a bunch of humanitarian aid to the village. Um, uh, she she says, "Hey, let's have coffee and tea," and we're there in the midst of her ruined broken life and she is offering us the best that she has this is and, something that i think people in the west don't understand about about um, eastern europe is like yeah. when we lived in hungary we go to someone's house and first of all that invitation alone was special and second of all you yeah. better prepare to be there for like four hours <laughs> and then yeah. and then third of all they give you everything like we yes. would meet with people who were clearly living in poverty and they opened up everything tea yeah food like everything and so this just fits with everything i know about the beauty of eastern europeans yeah no a hundred percent and that that was so funny like one day we went to two different places and like within like a few hours of each other not even maybe like an hour and a half of each other and we had coffee and tea at one place and it was a full spread with their sandwiches with their cookies with you know some treats and everything like that and then like an hour and a half later, we're at another place and we haven't even eaten dinner yet, you know, and we still have to go to another house and eat dinner for somebody who's going to host us. And it is, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's really special. It's really beautiful. And, you know, in America, we're expected to say, you know, somebody offers you something, you're expected to say no at first. Right. Right. Like that comment, like that, no, I don't need anything because I'm a rugged individualist and I don't need anything <laughs> from anybody. Right. 
Um, but over there, it's like, you better not say no, you know, it's like, um, it's, it's disrespectful and it's, they're offering you this. And so you need it and you receive it. And there's something so beautiful about that too, is, you know, just hospitality and ethic, hospitality and the rubble. It's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So part of the reason why y'all were there then was to connect with friends, but also y'all did some some rebuilding. It sounds like, yeah. So we were uh, we were uh, our partners there have uh, identified some um, some families that need help rebuilding, and um, and this is kind of like just an entry into this. But this is going to be part of what we're uh, focused on a little bit as a ministry. You know, everything's kind of turned. One of the things that we're going to really want to do is be able to raise funds to help people rebuild in these in these um, broken areas, and um, and so that was part of it. Um, you know, we we uh, sadly we were there as well. One of the things that we've done for a long time throughout the course of the long war, right? Remember, because this is this is not a new war uh, that started in February. This goes all the way back to 2014, and. Um, uh, we as a mission organization, one of the ways that we raise funds and supply a really good need is we have these water filtration systems and like a five gallon bucket can like cleanse like a million gallons of water. And um, so we have those filtration systems, but then we also have another filtration system that's a more permanent um, setup. And uh, so instead of having to fill up a five gallon bucket every time you need, you know, and then whenever it empties, you gotta go fill it up again. Instead of doing that, this is like piped in water filtration and the reason for the need of this is because so much of their infrastructure has just been decimated and um and so then you have you know you have water that is not um that's not healthy so one of the big things that we wanted to do while we went over there was we we had actually um packed and checked in as luggage um, uh, water filtration systems. And we were going to set them up, and then we were going to um, set them up at um, some key places that needed them and then send some to the front lines um, and train some people on how to set them up and then so that they could take them to the front lines and set them up there. And wow. sadly, we weren't able to do that um, uh, because our bags were... Uh, part of that wonderful trip, uh, our bags were lost the entire time that we were there. And so oh that was one of the like, the things that was so heartbreaking to me was we, we had this as an objective that we wanted to do, but weren't able sure. to do it. But um, the bags finally got back to Orlando, Florida, where our mission director uh, is, is based out of, and uh, and we'll get them uh, over there. He's actually probably going to go back in a couple of weeks um, Good. And, Good. Uh, and be able to do that. Um, but yeah, so we wanted to, uh, we wanted to do the water, couldn't do that. We were able to do some of the rebuilding efforts, um, and supply some of the rebuilding efforts. And then also, um, we were able to deliver a a lot of humanitarian aid. And one of the things about some of the places that we went is, you know, we, we went and we visited Bucha, uh, and we saw Bucha and it's, um, uh, that was what the world saw. You know, Bucha is the place where after Russia pulled out, we found out that, you know, there was there was dead bodies lying in the street whose hands had been tied behind their back and they'd been shot in the back of the head. And uh, Bucha yeah, had been Yeah, 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 yeah. definitely. Yeah. A lot of trauma there, uh, horrible yeah. trauma. 
Uh, in fact, we, we were able to meet with Nikolai Kaleba. Nikolai Kaleba um, runs the nonprofit Save Ukraine. He used to be in uh, the former president's cabinet uh, as the children's ombudsman to the president. Um, and so he is, uh, he's a brilliant man and has like this awesome, awesome heart for, um, for the same heart that we have, you know, for rescuing children um, primarily, but rescuing families. And he was telling us that um, that six years ago he had this vision for um, for a trauma center for uh, for victims of rape and abuse, and so for women and children who've been raped and abused. And and uh, and, and as a as the ombudsman to the president, he had land that was government land. He had this master planned community and he could not get anything accomplished on it. He said that he was so frustrated. He was so angry. Like he has all this power and influence and he has all the resources and he can't build it. And he told us while we were sitting there in that meeting, he said, but now I know why. And he said, because we were going to build that in Bucha. Wow. And he said, so, so that would have been completely just devastated in the midst of this. Um, so t- tell but, us a little more yeah. about the, you mentioned the trauma piece and as you interacted with people in Bucha um, and elsewhere, I mean, how did you see that trauma manifest itself as you're interacting with Ukrainians? You know, uh, that's something I actually talked about this on Sunday. Um, their resolve and their disposition is it's it's I, I inspiring is the only word that I can think of. It's admirable. It is just it's something to behold. I mean, you can just sit there. It's remarkable um, to sit there and talk to these people. Even Elena, who's looking around at her devastated life. I mean, she's lived in this place for thirty years, and now they have to start over from nothing. And um, and you know, you don't just get anger coming from people you don't get despair coming from people Hmm. and that is something that um i've really kind of been trying to process and press into the 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 best thing that i can kind of come away with is is you know i think whenever you think about this this nation this trauma hasn't just been going on for since February or even since 2014, you can actually go back and you can look a hundred years ago whenever a, a lot of this trauma had began. And so, um, so these are, this is not new to them. This is, right. it's, it's sadly, it's business as usual for them, it seems. Mm. And so they have this resolve to work through it. Um, but that's the other thing is they have this resolve, but that is even born out of trauma itself, right? That that right. thing is 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 the just this this is this is life, you know. This is what happens. This is what Russia does to us. Wow. Russia is always doing this to us. And yeah, because some people don't know if you go back to uh, the interwar period between World War One and World War Two, when Stalin was in power, you have the Holodomor, which is when yeah. Stalin intentionally starved him and the, the communist government intentionally starved yeah. something like four to six million people and the uh, there's an incredible book called bloodlands about that goes into some of that and yeah. um timothy snyder wrote that book and it's devastating and so you think about that and then you tack on world war ii 
and then yeah. you tack on living under Soviet, the Soviet Union, and then Chernobyl. Yeah. And and then obviously you know 2014 with you know the quote unquote annexation of Crimea. It's just yeah. been generation after generation of people who have had to deal with being under the thumb of Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You talked about those. Those are all huge history. Uh, one of our friends, uh, Roman, shared this with us while we were there. And it's a graphic. And it says, for the last hundred years, Russians have killed 28,663,000 Ukrainians. And it starts in 2014 through uh, 1914 to 1921, 2.58 million. Um, yeah. 22 through 23, 300,000. And 29, 504,000. And 32 through 33, 8 million. Um, and 33, 30,000. Another 2.2 million in, uh, in the mid 30s. Uh, another 14,000. 1946 through 47, 750,000. 47 through 53, 203,000. And then 17,000 since 2014. And that number is rising daily. They're losing about 100 soldiers a day and right. not even to include all the civilian casualties that they've suffered. Yeah. And so and uh, this is yeah. something this is something um, that I was explaining to um, to my wife, to Allie uh, yesterday, is that it's easy to like read articles in the West and to read the news and to try to understand but it's a whole different ball game when you've lived on Russia's border for so long mm. and it creates a different worldview. And there are, there are podcasts you can listen to uh, that can help with that. But I feel like that's mm. something that's kind of missing in the West is we either kind of take a political stance on it one way or the other and we, we kind of politicize it. But all of that is, is divorced and is bereft of what it's like to live on Russia's border and to yeah. actually feel it and not to hate all Russians because you have a lot of Russians who live in Ukraine, but to be very distrustful of the government that sits in Moscow. And like, that's just really hard for us to understand. Yeah. Um, you know, think about that while I was over there. And even as I've come back and processed, you hear these things, uh, these, these voices from the West that go, look at all the destruction that's happening. Why don't y'all just why don't y'all just let them, you know, you're cause, you're creating more destruction by resisting, right? right just give them some and of the Donbass, give them some of the, yeah, some just of the give them what they just want. give it to get peace, yeah, right? And, yeah. And yeah. it's like, no, and, and again, it, you have to have that history and you have to have that understanding of just what you're speaking of. That's easy to sit back here in a sovereign nation where you have so many freedoms and we know all freedoms relative, right? But, but where we have so much privilege and affluence and just sit there and be like, well, just, you know, like have this almost like have this moral superiority even too. um, that like, they, they're like, well, if it was me over there, it's like they, if you ask them, they say, you know, if, if we if we don't fight, if we don't resist, like what life is there? Right, they won't exist. Yeah, yeah they know they know what the score is. They know he's, yeah. it's not just we just they just want to Crimea. They got Crimea. Well, why are they back? Well, now they just want the Donbass. Well, now it's not going to end. And yeah. um, and I'm I'm. I'm for nonviolent resistance. Like I am like, I, I follow Jesus. Right. And so I'm like really torn over this because like, you know, my flesh goes, I want to go kick butt and take names and I'll go like, you know, so 
so even whenever I talk about resistance and I and I understand that this is war um, and the realities of that, like there's not even like that that comes with like a lot of conflict uh, yeah. for me, uh, a yeah. lot of internal conflict for me. Um, yeah. You know, just as it would if you know somebody hurt my my wife or my child, and um, sure. then I would have to be forced with those well, things. You know? And I feel like what you're describing is uh, where ideas hit reality. And yeah. it's, it's really challenging, but so you mentioned something I, I want to, I, I, I'm really eager to hear the spiritual dynamic, the spiritual part of this. And it, not that what you, what you weren't doing was, wasn't spiritual. Cause I think obviously serving those who have been decimated by it's the not, is absolutely it's not, spiritual. Listen, that's just, that's, those are just works. And some people are just trying to work their way into heaven, you know, John. So that's why. Oh, shut up. Works. <laughs> No, no, no. So I don't mean to make that that false dichotomy. But what I mean no, is, I want to I, I want to hear I want to hear uh, what did my point is this? I should have just said this. <laughs> I want to hear how how do you see God at work in Ukraine? What did you see on the ground? What did you hear? Yeah. Um, so uh, I would say you know that the that. Romans 5, James 1, um, they, they're living what it means to, um, to, to have tribulation and trials actually build, strengthen, and form them. Uh, they're experiencing that. Um, they're experiencing what Paul means in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 whenever he says, uh, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. And the way I interpret that is not God saying, hey, don't worry, it's all going to be okay, you know, boy," but God's grace being like this gift of his spirit um, that bears this fruit of love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance, um, that that grace is able to be lived out mm. in, in the face of adversity and hostility. And um, that's what I see happening a lot, like just daily on the ground. They are there. They haven't curled up into the fetal position and they're not like I imagine like this is me. Like, what would I do? And, and I'm and I try to be I, I'm, I'm, a you know, uh, I'm a very confident, uh, um, proud individual who wants to who wants to rise to the occasion at any moment. Um, but, um, but I also can look at that and go, that could just absolutely eat my lunch and cause me to, you know, that's what, that's what the enemy wants to do, right? Not even just the enemy of Russia. That's what the enemy, the big, big E enemy, you know, this, uh, this, this enemy that's warring against all of, uh, God's good creation. Um, it wants people to either, you know, deny their destruction destruction or destructive natures or despair over it and um and so i i see them actually resisting that uh very strongly mm. and and i believe that that's a work of the spirit um and, and and then you also have these sweet beautiful moments where like you do see um you see friends who are you know worshiping in the midst of this uh, wow. i was able to be in two church services um, one I got to wear a collar for. I've never got to wear a collar being an independent nice. Baptist. Nice, the Baptist, the Baptist uh, yeah. puts on a collar. Do you have a picture? 
I do. I'll send it to you yes. too. Uh, it was on Father's Day, so uh, uh, so I was the good father. Uh, holy, fa- <laughs> holy Father Macaulay Austin. That's I love it. Uh, it was right. so Did fun. You, so you got to go awesome. to two two church services. Yeah, and one was. You know that that one that's very liturgical. Uh, I wish I could know a little bit more what was going on because I like a good liturgy um, and following along with that. But it was all in Ukrainian and um, and was able to um, you know be a part of that. And there was just a beautiful spirit, even though I don't know everything that's being communicated all the time. Um, and then the other one, it was a little bit different, more of like an evangelical um, uh, ch- uh, flavor of a church and uh, and. Um, again, it was just, you know, in, in the middle of that service, uh, air raid sirens went off. So that was kind of weird. Um, and th- that's something that I, I do kind of want to say too, is like one of the things that is so frustrating to me, maddeningly frustrating to me is we got there while people were tanking this collective breath, I said, right. And they were about to start rebuilding. And then for the first time, in three weeks in Kiev and in a month and a half in some of the other places, like we were in Shatomer, which is west of Kiev. Um, we had driven up to Chernigiv. I told you we went up to this other little village called uh, Norodichi, and which is like a few miles from the Belarus border. And they, um, we met a family where they had actually planted a tank right outside their door. Uh, they had mowed down a bunch of houses uh, so that they could provide a corridor and this these people Mm. live in abject poverty um Mm. they're farmers they couldn't have done anything and they're all russian speaking by the way so you know that myth that uh, he's coming to protect uh them from nazis um that's a lie but uh people are taking this collective breath and then the the last weekend we were there is the first time that uh, Kiev got shelled again. Uh, that's we were there. Uh, we had j- left Kiev the day before um, the shopping center was hit, and um, there, there was a thousand people in that shopping center. Over fifty people died. Um, the next day there was another uh, attack on Kiev, um, and so we're sitting in this home with this woman, Zhenya, uh, and she has two teenage boys that are with her. She left one of her teenage sons who has, um, he's, he, he's, uh, has a pretty severe form of autism. They left him in the West. Um, they had just gotten back, uh, to their home, like a few weeks prior to us being there. And, um, and she's telling us, Junior's telling us, um, uh, you know, the air raid sirens came on for the first time and they woke us up. It was like five o'clock in the morning, something like that. And she said, I had to get my boys and run to the bathroom. And, and this, this like PTSD kind of trauma coming back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was so frustrating to me. It was like once they, once you kind of saw people taking a breath and right. going, okay, we, we're going to get back to life. People are returning back to their homes. We have to rebuild. And then you have this, this, these attacks that come on again and it's almost like they're timed like like they know the psychology of this right um, yeah it's just gonna we be have, demoralizing we have a friend of ours who's who's been helping run a refugee center in budapest um mm. and they said some of the ukrainian refugees came in and once they had a sense that they were safe and they could actually rest uh like things like a tooth that had been bothering them from a long, for a long time started hurting again. And it was as if she said, it was as if 
their their bodies were giving them permission to feel like hey you should probably take care of this so like took them to the dentist and had the tooth pulled and like it needed to be dealt with but in that place of like adrenaline and intense trauma and just trying to flee the country all of that got sidelined it's just the the trauma you're describing of of just thinking you're beyond it and like needing to get to a place of safety is just so beyond what we know here in the Western United States, unless you've grown up in a place, you know, trauma, obviously, unless you've had those experiences. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And most of us, I mean, well, and I won't say most of us, a lot of us have been, um, um, spared a lot of that. Um, that's for sure. Um, so uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Mac, tell us what, what can we do on our end to, to pray and, what does mission eight two three need okay um for one um I would uh you know one of the things that I pray uh and 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 I'll share this with y'all is I think about all these you know these traumatized people, and this has an a way of either destroying people or building people, and that is a specific prayer that I have is that um that this which which man means for evil, um, which could just utterly, you know, leave somebody in despair. Um, this will actually be thwarted. These efforts will be thwarted in the spirit of these people that they will continue to uh, be built up and be resilient and be faithful and be kind and generous and loving and all the things that I've get to see out of them. Um, and so that's like a real prayer that I pray um, every day, and I would invite y'all to pray that with us. And then just the practical reality, um, you know, anything. Um, sometimes I would just say, you know, praise the Lord lead you in regard to practical realities, but think about all those practical uh, needs. You know, we need this war to stop. <laughs> they need some airspace control. I mean, the only reason why Russia has any any uh, advancements that they have right now is because of the airspace uh, and um, and their inability to control that and um, that that's a real prayer um, and uh, and you know and and then I would pray for these volunteers. There's there's people who are putting themselves in harm's way regularly so that they can provide aid. Um, after we left, uh, some of our uh, some of our supplies that we had sent over there, we had sent uh, these AFACs, their uh, medical kits. They have tourniquets. They have uh, Israeli bandages. Um, uh, they were able to be cleared, and there's a really cool story behind that, but not a lot of time to tell you that story either. But, uh, but, um, but I'll tell you that there's this wonderful military journalist that we met organically uh, over there, and we had some supplies that were housed in a military base um, that we couldn't get access to, and she was able to help kind of break down the channels to get those uh, open. And so, um, so like just a few days after we left, those were released and, and we have partners who have driven those to the front lines. And so Mm -hmm. just praying for those guys and their safety. Um, Pastor Vasily is uh, another friend who regularly takes trips to the front lines to, um, to bring supplies. Um, but if you could remember my friend's names, Vova and Alex as well, um, be praying for them. Uh, and then at Mission 823, I'll tell you right now what we want to do is, and this is a prayer, and this is 
what we are trying to kind of figure out is what is our next steps. We had to pivot our whole ministry. We still want to be uh, taking care of our our, our primary needs, which is uh, meeting the needs of children and families, and um, and so we actually just hired uh, somebody who um, uh, who we've I've known since 2016. He's worked with us on a volunteer basis or a contract basis here and there throughout the years. But we just hired him as a as a, as, as somebody who's going to be identifying um, how we can in the midst of this war how we can kind of focus our efforts uh, back in, not just on this you know not just meeting the humanitarian uh, crisis and the needs there, but um, but also kind of shaping up for like the long term of now we have people that are reestablished and resettled. Um, there's people who now are permanently out in the West. You know, how do we, uh, how do we minister and address those needs as well? And so, um, so uh, Vadim's going to be doing that. And, um, and, and we as a group right now, we're just, we're, we will continue to provide the humanitarian need that we uh, needs that we have rebuilding efforts. We're going to be focused on that. Um, uh, water filtration systems, uh, medical uh, kits, and um, and and as we are needed, uh, evacuations. So what I would do is I would direct everybody to mission eight two three dot org, and um, and if you have the ability to give, uh, you can give um, uh, generously to them. Uh, they are doing real work on the ground. Um, and, um, and, and so I can promise you that the hundred percent of the proceeds that are going to the Ukraine war relief are going to Ukraine war relief. They're not uh, taking care of any, any other, um, needs there. And, um, and, uh, and, and then also if you want to give specifically towards, you know, medical equipment going or, um, water filtration systems, those are real practical needs that, that will help, uh, soldiers and civilians, um, you can you can you can donate that uh, in particular that way as well. And so uh, that's great. Um, and then go like, follow, um, support Mission Eight Two Three on all social media platforms uh, and help us uh, just be a good amb- ambassador. Um, yeah, the war is not in the news in this main news cycle anymore. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so we need people to continue to be good ambassadors. Um, getting the word out for the need there yeah well I appreciate you taking the time to help us get it back on people's radar um, because that also has been really hard and I realize that people can't take war 24-7 and you know the way the news cycle works with you know money and and, you know getting money off of the news and monetizing like I I understand that but at the same time um, I too want this to stay on people's radar because it's yeah. so critical and so i just appreciate you sharing today mac thanks for going thanks for having the bravery to go yeah man well thank you for um keeping it on people's radar too john and thank you for having me i'm um, glad to be able to do this uh, with you my dear brother from another mother <laughs> and, uh... yeah well thanks man yeah definitely and i will put the links to mission823.org in the show notes and any other information that will be helpful. So thank you all for listening to the Live More podcast and tuning in and uh, pray for Ukraine.